Okay. Hello and welcome to Sport Professor Podcast, the show for the sports student and fan who wants to learn more about the underpinnings of the sporting world. I'm your professor, Dr. Drew Sikansky, and today we will once again deep dive the world of sport law as we provide insight into the world of torts in sports and facility liability. Beginning with a quick discussion of negligence, we will then move to define the key relationships present within facility and property usage before ending with a breakdown of specific legal obligations and duties. So, have you ever wondered what actions or inactions could lead to athletes, spectators, or employees bringing suit against your favorite team, gym, or park? This is the podcast for you. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of... The Sport Professor Podcast. This week, what I want to do is continue the conversation that we began in the past about the application of torts within sport. More specifically this week, what I want to dive into is this idea of premise liability. Just to provide a quick recap, when we were talking about torts and sports, we classified three different laws under that umbrella term. The idea of intentional torts or assault and battery, the idea of gross negligence, and then the idea of unintentional torts or negligence. And that's really where we've spent the most of our time. We've defined the four legal elements of negligence duty, breach, causation, and damages. And we spent a lot of time defining the idea of duties. Remember we said that another way you can think of those are responsibilities, things that one person owes to the other person or ways that one person is supposed to act towards another. And in establishing whether or not a individual owes certain responsibilities or owes certain duties to another individual, we first look to determine if a relationship exists between them. Now, there's two ways that we've said that you can define the presence of a relationship. The first is what we would call an inherent relationship. Remember, an inherent relationship is a relationship that is established based off the title that you hold. Kind of the classic example that I always give is the coach-athlete. The coach holds the title of coach, the athlete holds the title of athlete, and based off of those two titles, they have an inherent relationship with one another. Today, what I want to focus on is another type of inherent relationship, and that is the relationship that's brought about by individuals using or attending a sporting event in a certain facility. When an individual has a piece of property that they invite or allow other people to come and use, the fact that they have that property, they now take on the title of an owner or possessor of that land or of that facility that falls on that land. And as the owner or possessor of that facility, you have certain inherent relationships with different individuals. And those inherent relationships stipulate how you're supposed to act and what exactly you're supposed to do, but those relationships vary. And so one of the first things we have to do when we're talking about premise liability is we have to start by defining who's involved in the relationship. On one side, we have individuals that we can classify as a licensee or an invitee. A licensee, according to Wong, is, quote, one who enters the property of another with the owner's consent for the licensee's own purpose. We can juxtapose that with an invitee. An invitee is one who receives an invitation, either personally or impersonally, to enter a property. 
based off of which group you're classified in, the licensee or the invitee, that classification that you fall in determines the legal duty of the owner or possessor of the facility. So if you're an invitee, if you have been personally or impersonally invited to use a piece of property or to come to a piece of property, you classify as an invitee and the owner and possessor of the facility has a duty to protect you from any known risks. The duty to protect is extremely high. Whereas if you are a licensee, if you're not invited to the property, but you're legally allowed to be there, there's consent from the owner, and you're just coming to use that property on your own accord, in that case, you are a licensee, and the owner or possessor of the facility or premise, they only have a duty to warn you of known risk. Well, how do you know which of those two you fall into? The definition helps, but oftentimes when we use a definition, it can create more confusion for those individuals who are trying to understand these really complex legal ideas. Well, let's look at maybe the classic example of individuals who use facilities within sport. Let's think of the athletes themselves. If you're an athlete and you're coming and you're playing a game at a facility, at a park, at a stadium, at a high school, you are classified as an invitee. You were invited to come to that property to use that facility, to use that premise for the sport you are playing. So you would be an invitee, which means that the person that is in possession of that facility, they have to protect you from known risks. What about spectators? What about fans? Fans oftentimes aren't receiving a personal invitation. They are receiving an impersonal invitation. Think about advertisements you see on TV. If you see an advertisement that says, come and use our facility, come and see the Cleveland Browns play, that is an impersonal invitation, but it still is an invitation. They're saying, come to our facility to take on and consume this sporting event. And as a result, spectators also owed a duty of protection, meaning the person who owns that facility or who's operating that facility has to protect these spectators, the fans, from all known risks. What then do you have to do, or in what circumstances would you be considered a licensee rather than an invitee? The classic example that I always go to is think about a public park. We have a great public park down here in Nashville that I go to all the time. They have a running trail, they have a disc golf course, they have baseball diamonds, softball diamonds, they set up soccer fields. There's a nice pond, people go fish, there's tennis courts, but it's a public park. It's owned by the city of Nashville. I, as a person who lives in the city, I can go and use that park whenever I want, but I'm never invited to go there. I'm never told, hey, come and use this. The park is just there. I have the ability to go and use that facility. I have the consent of the city to go and use it, but when I go there, I'm going for my own purpose. I'm going to play disc golf, or I'm going to run, or just going to relax. People go there to fish, but they're going for their own purpose. They're legally allowed to be there, so they're not trespassing, but they're going to fulfill whatever their own purpose is. And as a result of that, they are considered licensees, which means the city, they are the people that possess that park, that own that park. Their legal duty is to warn me and warn the other people that go there of the known risks in the park. Right now, we're in wintertime. We have an ice storm going through. Everything is icy. So if I go to the park 
they have a duty to warn me that the bridges on the walking path, those could be iced over. They could be slippery. They need to have signs up that warn of that known risks. If they don't have that sign up and I slip and fall, then they are going to potentially be held liable because they have breached their duty to warn me of a known risk. Let's change up those scenarios just slightly. Let's say that I go to a game at Nissan Stadium where Tennessee Titans play. Now I'm a fan. I've bought a ticket to that game, which means I'm an invitee. So they don't just have to warn me that the walkways are going to be icy. They have to take steps to actively protect me from that risk. What does that mean? That means they need to be salting the walkways, putting salt or sand down to help melt that snow, to help make it less slippery. They need to be out there maybe actively shoveling that snow away to make sure people don't step and slip and fall on that. So the same scenario, ice, depending on if you're a licensee or an invitee, changes the duty, the legal obligation that the owner or possessor of the facility has towards you. Now, when we're talking about things like ice, like freezing weather coming in a storm, we can start to talk about the ideas of defects that occur on the premises or within the property. And there's two different classifications of defects. There's what we call a patent defect, and there's what we call a latent defect. A patent defect is a defect that is plainly visible or that could be easily discovered upon inspection. With a patent defect, the owner is liable if the patent defect causes damages. With a licensee, that means we would have to warn of a patent defect. With an invitee, we would actually have to protect them from that patent defect. So what is a patent defect? Something that might be plainly visible. Let's say I am the possessor of a park where we play a soccer tournament, and I have 10 fields set up on this park, and let's say that in one of them, there is a sprinkler head that sticks up an inch from the ground, and that sprinkler head sticking up an inch from the ground causes someone to trip, they fall over it, they end up tearing their ACL. That sprinkler head would be a patent defect. It is something that is plainly visible that caused the player to fall and injure themselves. Well, since that player is an invitee, I have a duty, I have a legal obligation to protect them from that defect, and I failed to do that. So what could I do to protect them from that defect? Well, maybe I just don't use that field at all. Maybe I say this field has a defect on it, so we're not going to use it. Or maybe I put a cone on top of it, or I provide a setting where I rope that area off and we play around it. Or maybe I go get some dirt and I bury it underground uh, so that way it's no longer sticking up. Whatever it is, I, as the owner possessor of that facility, of that premise, I have to protect from those patent defects. Latent defects are a little bit more tricky. A latent defect is a defect that is hidden or concealed that could not be discovered by a reasonable inspection of the property. With a latent defect, the owner is not liable if that defect causes an injury. Now, the other thing to consider is if there is a defect or if the facility or possessor fails to warn you or protect you from a known risk, who do we sue? Well, normally with facilities, we have a couple of different entities that are in charge. We oftentimes have a leasee, meaning the person that's actually operating the sporting event or the recreational activity on that property isn't the one that owns the property, rather they're just leasing the property from someone else. The leasee is the individual who is in charge of the property because of a lease. 
they have leased the property from an individual we call the leaseor. So the leaseor is going to be the owner of the property. They then sign an agreement allowing the leasee to come on and have an event or an activity on their property. Within that lease, one of the illegal obligations of the leaseor is to disclose any defects to the leasee. So if we go back to my soccer field example, if I am renting out a property that has 10 fields on them from a leaseor, I would be the leasee. The leaseor's legal obligation is to disclose to me, normally it is in writing in the lease, they have a legal duty to disclose any defects to me. That allows me, the leasee, to know of the defects. So now I have the duty to protect the invitees from those defects. Whether it's, as I said, maybe we just don't use that field. Maybe we uh, go and bring in some dirt and cover up that sprinkler head to avoid any type of injury caused by that. Maybe we put a cone on top of it or rope off that area and don't allow people in that area. Whatever it is, the legal obligation to protect them from that known patent defect now falls on me, not the leaseor. So if, if an invitee is injured, if an athlete is injured as a result of that, they would probably sue me. They might also sue the leaseor, the person that owns the property, but the leaseor's obligation has been fulfilled because they disclosed that risk to me. Now, let's say they don't disclose a known risk to me and an individual is injured as a result. Now, they can be held liable because they have not fulfilled their legal obligation as the leaseor to the leasee. They haven't told me of that risk, so I knew to warn the people of it. So oftentimes in a lawsuit, you'll see not only the person who's operating the facility, what we would call the leasee or the manager in charge, not only see them sued or that organization sued, you oftentimes will also see the owner of the stadium or the owner of the property, the leaseor sued. The leaseor oftentimes is easier to cover because you can pull up that contractual lease and see the defects as they're listed. And if they're not listed, then they have the potential to be held liable. All this to say, the general duty that you have as a facility owner or possessor, whether it's a lease or a leasee or the owner, you have a duty of reasonable care. In other words, you have a duty to warn and protect individuals of known risks of using the facility. That's the general terms that the court will assess. Now, as we get into more specific activities, that idea starts to change with the specific activity because the known risks of baseball are going to be different than the known risks of golf, than the known risk of high ropes courses, etc. When we're protecting these individuals from these risks, one of the things that we oftentimes see cited in court cases is the idea of either actual notice or constructive notice. Here, actual notice means the facility owner or director knew of a defect, knew of a patent defect, and did nothing. Whereas a constructive notice means that they should have known of a defect, but they didn't know of it, and they still did nothing. So let me give you an example. Imagine that you have a membership to your local YMCA. So you're a paying customer, which means you're an invitee. Why is that important? Because as an invitee, that means that the YMCA has a duty to protect you from any known risks. Well, what's a known risk? Now let's say that you're walking into the gym, and there is a leak in the pipe above the basketball court, and it's slowly dripping onto the floor, causing a big puddle. You don't see the puddle, so you're just walking, you step in the puddle, you slip, you fall, you break your arm. 
you decide to sue the YMCA. You want to recover for the medical costs that you just had to assure going to the hospital, getting a cast, seeing the doctor, all of that. You want to recover for those, those damages. So you sue them and you claim that they were liable because either they actually saw that the water was there and did nothing, that'd be actual notice, or maybe they didn't see the water there, but they should have discovered the water through the normal inspection of the facility. If they should have discovered the water because it was just out there in the middle of the court and they should be inspecting the premise to keep it safe, they can't just say, well, sorry, we didn't see it. What the courts have ruled is they should have seen it, so it's what we call constructive notice, and they are still held liable. So if they see that the water's there, they have to do something to protect you from it, whether that's wipe it up, whether that's put out signage, whether that's rope the area off, whatever it is. They have to protect you from it because you're an invitee. If they see it and do nothing, that'd be what we would call actual notice, and they have failed to uphold their duty to protect you. Now, there's one exception to this rule, and it's called open and obvious dangers. What the courts have ruled is that in some circumstances, the danger is so obvious that the facility owner or possessor is not held liable for it. For example, imagine that you are walking outside and it's raining and you're a college student. So you're walking to class and you walk into the classroom building out of the rain. You step on the floor, you slip, you fall, you break your arm because it is raining outside. It's obvious that right inside the door that that floor is wet. Because it is obvious, the courts have said that a reasonable, prudent person, the normal person would know that the water outside is going to be tracked right in the doorway, causing the floor to be wet. So the normal person knows that it's wet. Therefore, it is not a violation of the facility's duty, of the university's duty, in that they didn't put a sign out, in that they didn't have towels out on the ground, in that they didn't have someone there warning you and telling you not to enter because the floor was wet. With an open and obvious danger, the courts have ruled that some actions, specifically, I like to talk about weather within sport and recreation, some things just are so well known that the facility cannot be held liable for them. So if you slip and fall in the YMCA on the gym uh, because there's a puddle of water on the floor that no one did anything about, you are going to be able to most likely sue and win that lawsuit for negligence. If you're suing your university because it's raining outside and you stepped inside and right inside the door to the outside rain is wet and you slip and fall and break your arm, you're probably not going to win that lawsuit because the courts would say it's an open and obvious danger. You should have known that it was wet and you should have taken precautions yourself. Now, that's not to say that facilities shouldn't put signage out or certain warn people when there is an open, obvious danger. You still should take steps because regardless of if you win the lawsuit or not, you still have the potential for negative exposure in court. You still have the uh, potential to have to pay your lawyer fees or court costs or whatever. So just because you can use that as a defense doesn't mean that you still shouldn't try to protect against it and keep your patrons or keep the people using the facility safe. To sum all this up, this kind of introduction into premise liability, we can say that there are four key duties that the facility owner or possessor has to fulfill. You have a duty as the facility owner or possessor to keep the premise in safe repair. You have a duty to inspect the facility and to discover any type of known or hidden hazards. You also have a duty to remove any hazards or warn of their presence. And then finally, you have to anticipate how the facility or premise will be used. What is the foreseeable way that people will come in and use that property, use that stadium, use that piece of equipment? 
And you have to look and try to foresee that so that way you can protect people from any type of known risk or known things that could happen while they're using that facility. That process of looking into how a facility is going to be foreseeably used allows us to identify any potential risks or hazards within that premise, within that facility. Once we know of the risk or hazards, we can take steps to warn against them and protect people from being injured by them. So it's not just keeping the facility up and keeping it running smoothly and, and fixing defects once they become known to us. We also have to set up and use the facility in a way that minimizes the potential liability or minimizes the potential risk to those people who are going to use it. And that's not just minimizing the risk to the athletes who are invitees, but everyone, the employees that are using it, the athletes, the fans, the parents of the kids, everyone. Oftentimes I find that people fall short. They'll look at a premise or a facility or a campground and they'll say, well, here's how the camper will use it or here's how the athlete will use it. But they'll fail to consider the other individuals that are also on the property, the fans, the spectators, the parents, or even the employees, because you have to make sure that the facility operates in a way that is safe to everyone that is there. Now, how do we know if they're breaching these duties? How do we know when a facility of possessor or landowner has fall short? Well, the best way to expect that is to go through and look at case law. Go through and actually examine what the courts have said about how facilities have been used, about what risks are foreseeable within those facilities to determine when a duty has been breached and when it has not. And that's exactly what we will do in our follow-up podcast next week. We will dive into case law, not only talking about sport facilities, but also talking about some court cases that deal with campgrounds to see what the requirement is, what the legal duty is when it comes to providing protection. More specifically, what exactly does it mean in different circumstances? Until then though, if you have any questions about stadium or facility liability, please feel free to shoot us a message on Instagram at the sport professor. Follow us to stay up to date on the new podcasts that are coming out in the future. Until next time, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sport Professor Podcast.